Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's your host, Zachary Garten. Excited to have you here today, but I'm recording this with a heavy heart. Um, we all know by now about the news about Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and the, I believe it was six others that died in that crash. Um, the Albotelli family, I'm probably saying their name wrong, the Juco baseball coach who had a huge impact on that world. His daughter and his wife also passed. It's a really sad day in the sports world and just in the world overall. Kobe Bryant was a huge impact on a lot of people and huge impact on me as well. He was a really big inspiration for me in everything I do and how to be a great person, a hard worker, how to be a good father. I'm not a father yet, but eventually I will be. And um, yeah, so I'm a little broken up about it. Um, I'm recording this the day after, and it's just really sad. Every time I go on Twitter or on any social media, I see Kobe things, and it just breaks my heart a little bit. We'll never get to hear his Hall of Fame speech when I get older. And actually, in the journalism world, I'll never be able to speak with him. He was one of the people I always wanted to interview the most. So his heart's a little bit different right now. But he would want me to keep going, keep working, never stop grinding. So here I am recording this. Thank you guys for listening, by the way. Um, we got a really good show today for you today. It starts with a great interview with Mike Mitchell, a writer about the XFL. He originally wrote about the XFL in 2001, and he's back again to write about it now. He writes for the XFL board and XFL News Hub. Make sure you guys go give him a follow at MMXFLWriter. He's a great follow. He does great work on XFLboard.com and XFLNewsHub.com. Make sure you read his articles. He's really, really smart when it comes to the game of football. And I really love his work. And then also, I'm just going to go ahead and break down a couple of the roster moves that surprised me afterwards. He talks about them, but I'm going to go a little more in-depth in them. And then also the scrimmage and some of the themes I see coming out of camp. And then just overall what I'm excited to see. Rest in peace, Kobe. Rest in peace, GG. Rest in peace to all the other people that died in that crash that I do not know about. It's a sad day in the sports world, and it's going to be a sad couple of weeks after his death. He's left a huge hole in a lot of people's hearts, and I know I'm not the one that's been affected the most, but I definitely definitely cried a little yesterday after I found out. So, you know, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. And prayers up for the families of those who passed, and... Thank you, Kobe. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you for having a huge inspiration on me. I know you're up there right now with God just shooting the shit and talking about basketball. Sorry for the cuss word, um, but thank you for everything you've done for me, Kobe. And thank you to Gigi for being a huge beacon for women in the sports world as well. Even at the young age of 13, you inspired a lot of people. So thank you very much. And... As we end this little sad intro, um, just a reminder to say I love you to your loved ones. Anybody can pass. Anything can happen. So don't forget to hug your loved ones. Tell them I love you. Even friends. Don't forget to let them know how important they are to you. Now that we're done with that sad part, let's go ahead and cue the intro. This is your host, Zachary Gart, and this is The Guard Post.
Hey, everybody. I'd just like to welcome to the show a writer for the XFL board who has written about the XFL and specifically New York XFL team since 2001 when the league was originally around, Mike Mitchell. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thank you very much, Zachary, for having me on. I'm, I just want to say um, I'm very impressed with the job you've been doing here in a short period of time. You do a very good job of breaking down football, and a lot of that has to do with your playing background, being you know, a former Division Three football player. So I, I love the breakdowns you've done on the show and how you've uh, paid attention to the New York Guardians and the players. Good job so far. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. So you just told everybody my background in football. I just want to ask you real quick, what's your background in football? How'd you get involved? And then how'd you get involved with the original XFL and writing about that? Oh, okay. That's a good way, a good place to start. I've been a longtime football fan since I was five years old, 38 years. I played high school football, cornerback and wide receiver, played special teams back in the Bronx uh, in New York. And, um, and I used to write about football in school. And, um, as I got older and got out of high school, um, I started writing for fan sites. And one of those fan sites was xflboard.com. And what ended up happening was I started covering the New York, New Jersey hitmen for the uh, for XFL board. And we ended up getting press credentials from the league. So um, I ended up going to the games, going to the press box. It was, it was in my early 20s. So it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. But as far back as I can remember, I've always been a, a huge fan of ball football, ball football leagues. And um, one of my favorite teams growing up is, uh, this is before you were born, exactly, but the um, New Jersey Generals. Uh, one of my favorite players of all time is Herschel Walker. He was a running back that left college football before his eligibility was up. And this is prior to the NFL allowing juniors to enter the National Football League. Okay. And Walker signed with the USFL. He signed with the New Jersey Generals. And if you go back, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Herschel Walker has one of the greatest seasons in the history of pro football in the USFL. I believe he rushed for 2,400 yards, 25 touchdowns. I'm not even exaggerating. It's, Dang, it's, that's... Uh, and it's quite a bunch. Yeah, so it was like one of the, But he was a heck of a player coming out of uh, Georgia and all that. So oh, yeah. ever since then... I've been a fan of alternate leagues, alternate pro football leagues. I've followed every one of them. Not every one of them have I been huge fans of. There were things I liked and didn't like about the Alliance of American Football, of United Football League, um, and NFL Europe, the World League of American Football. I've just always been a huge fan of this concept. And so here I am now covering the XFL for the last couple of years, the current XFL, that is. And I'm looking forward to the season, which is coming in less than two weeks now. What makes you, what's, what, are, uh, give me a sec. What are you super excited about in this iteration of the XFL? What new thing has just got you really hooked about this version? I think the talent level in football in general is so much better now than it was two decades ago. There is so much talent and depth in college football. When we look at it, you know, only 1.9% of all college football players make the NFL. The average NFL career is under four years. If you take out quarterbacks, uh, kickers, and punters, it's even less than that. So I think the talent level is so strong now, comparatively speaking, to 20 years ago. College football programs on every level are, are basically like pro-level teams. Oh. How, so um, the way the coaching is, the training, the nutrition, all that. And I just think there's just room 
for more talent. I just recently wrote an article uh, for XFL News Hub. I write for both XFL Board and XFL News Hub, and I wrote an article about Raheem Mostert. And here's a player, I'm sure you're familiar with his story, Zachary, but he's been cut several times. I think um, seven times by six teams. And so, um, and that was just in a two-year span. And he was on the roster bubble. And every year I see this because I follow the NFL rosters very closely. There are players that go two and three years bouncing back and forth on and off of practice squads and future contracts. And then eventually what happens is they fade away into obscurity. They kind of fall off the map. You never hear from them again. And Raheem Mostert is very close to becoming that type of player. You know, he was fortunate on his current team that the, even though he landed on injured reserve at the end of the 2017 and 2018 season, he was fortunate that the Niners saw enough in him to give him an extension and keep him around. And then this year he exploded. He just rushed the 220 yards in the NFC Championship okay. game with four touchdowns. He's going to be a factor in the Super Bowl. If the Niners want to win, the more success they have winning the ball and keeping Patrick Mahomes off the field, the better their chances are of well, hoisting the trophy, so to speak. So I think the XFL, if you look at the XFL rosters, if you dissect them, and if you look at them, they, a lot of the players have the same stories that Raheem Mostert had. There are players like Elijah Hood, who was an all-ACC player oh, yeah. that, and was drafted by the Raiders in 2017, and he's been on four teams in three years. There's Jarrell Presley, he's been on five teams in three different practice squads. These are, these are young backs. These are not, you know, backs that are 30, 32, 33 years old. So, which I think is a good thing, by the way, that they don't have all the wear and tear normally that a lot of backs have. So that means they're probably going to be in pretty good shape and they're ready to handle the workload because they haven't been given that type of workload on the pro level. So I think when you look at the XFL rosters and we go up and down them, you just, if you look at the bio of every player, a lot of times what you see at the end of it is released August 31st, 2019. They were all at the final cutdown, they were cut. And then there are several players like the morning personnel who has finished the season with the Raiders, was on their practice squad, and he chose, rather than signing a futures contract, to come back to the XFL. And the reason why players like that make that type of decision is because when you're on a futures contract in the NFL, you don't get paid until March, which is the right. first of the league new year. And then what happens in April and May is NFL teams draft players and bring in undrafted free agents. So you may think your position is secure on a futures deal, but... Uh, there's a likelihood that once the NFL teams add 20 new players that you might not last very long. So while this is happening, the morning personnel could have been playing in the XFL and showcasing his talent and finally yeah. getting an opportunity to get on the field and perform. So it's a smart decision on his part to play in the league because there are a lot of players that, you know, are probably going to regret the fact that they didn't take the XFL up on the opportunity or that they didn't come into the league because, these kind of opportunities to play weekly on ABC, Fox, and ESPN, to play with these quality coaching staffs and players, they don't come around very easily. So, um, you know, there's no guarantee that the XFL will succeed, and, but the XFL succeeding is um, great for football players in general. It, it will open up so many doors for the 416 players that are going to eventually be on XFL rosters. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean... The XFL is good for football. More football is good for football just because it creates more fans, gets more players to play, gets some more opportunities, increases the job market for professional football, which is actually just a very small market 
you look at, yeah, exactly. And when you look at the history of, uh, I, if you could call them secondary pro leagues or alternate pro leagues, when you look at the history, there are numbers of players that actually got better and got it because they got an opportunity to play in another league. You know, uh, Kurt Warner, Jake DeLone, yeah. Brad Johnson. Uh, these are all players that ended up playing and winning the Super Bowl from them. Well, Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer. Adam Vinatieri. Uh, yeah. There's several others. Dante Hall. There's uh, Leroy Glover. There's several other players. Um, James Harrison. There's several players. And then the Alliance had a, their share of players last year. Mm-hmm. So, there are several players that wouldn't, like those quarterbacks that I mentioned off the top there, oh, yeah. those guys would have never made it in the NFL if they didn't get an opportunity to become better quarterbacks by getting reps and playing. Oh, yeah. I mean, all those so guys, that's why the XFL is a huge benefit to a lot of these young players. So. Oh, yeah. And all those guys were contributors, too. That's the big thing. Jake Del Home, one of my favorite quarterbacks because he was a Panther, and I'm a huge Panthers fan. Right. One of my favorite quarterbacks because yeah, Jake Delhomme and Jake Delhomme was the guy who bounced from. I remember his career. He bounced from roster to roster. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like a third string, fourth string guy. He ended up being like allocated to NFL Europe, and then he finally got an opportunity to play, made a good impression. Then lo and behold, within a couple of years, he's leading a team with Super. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. Otherwise, if there wasn't the NFL Europe opportunity, he would have washed out. He would have washed out. Oh. He would have. It's a numbers game, and it's a numbers game in the NFL. You know, players get replaced every year. There are 300 to 400 rookies coming in every year. The losses aren't getting bigger. There are 300 or 400 players every year that are coming into the league to take your spot. So, so getting that opportunity to showcase your wares in an alternate league really helps. It's good for the game of football overall. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we talked about some of those players that are taking a chance in the XFL, guys like DeMorne Pearson L and others. Out of all these guys, and we could look at the Guardians or on other teams as well, who are you most excited for to watch in the XFL? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, that's difficult. You know, the, I'm, I'm a fan of the underdog and the redemption story, so part of me is rooting very hard for Cardell Jones okay. in D.C. Uh, you know, he, um, he, he had a great measure of success. It was almost like his success came too fast. And then things, you know, he had some issues there at Ohio State where they were rotating quarterbacks and all that. And I really think in the NFL, like the last couple of years, last couple of summers in the NFL, he really started to progress. It's like the light bulb went on for him. Unfortunately, you know, numbers, numbers game, he turned down practice squad opportunities after he was um, released by uh, also Seattle's practice squad mm-hmm. um, after the NFL season had already started. And he's a guy who I just feel has the physical tools and I feel like he's matured, and I'm going to be rooting for him in Pep Hamilton's offense with the weapons they have around. I'm kind of like secretly going to be rooting for him there. There are a lot of like players that you can root for um, that are like that. Um, I would say uh, one of the guys I really like because I like small school guys is Jaquan Gardner. Um, oh, yeah. He's a running back from Humboldt State, uh, which is not obviously a big school, and he showed flashes in the AF, and then he got injured. But he's oh, yeah. so talented. Um, He's so talented that the XFL invited Jaquan Gardner to a summer showcase while he was still injured oh. because that's how much their scouting department believed in his talents. Now, he's in a tough, I mean, he's in a good spot, but in a tough spot in terms of competition because oh. he's in a the backfield there with Kenny Farrell and Trey Williams, so it's going to be a little hard to break through. But you can see from the most recent live scrimmage where, where Gardner broke off a 33-yard touchdown run with amazing juke ability. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, that he can be a player. Those are, I, I like small school guys, and I like kind of like redemption stories. There's so many of them. It's so hard to pinpoint. Oh, yeah. But I think Cardell Jones is someone who – Cardell Jones is someone who stands out to me. As someone I'm kind of – may or may not happen, but he's someone I'm kind of rooting for to become a superstar. And then he could be one of those guys that if he, he's a league MVP, that could lead him going back to the NFL oh, yeah. and getting an opportunity. And well, what happened with Tommy Maddox? When he came into the XFL uh, 19 years ago, he was considered a bust first-round pick who was drafted to replace John Elway in Denver. He came into the XFL, earned a starting job, ended up being the MVP of the league. Then he became the NFL Comeback Player of the Year, led the Steelers to the playoffs, won a playoff game, and uh, ended up having you know, played five or six more years in the National Football League. So he kind of redeemed himself. So I love the, the redemption story, and I think Cardell can be one of those. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with Jaquan Gardner, too. I'm not as familiar with Cardell Jones. I love his story, though. I think he could end up probably being a really good QB in that offense, specifically with how they built it around him. There's so much speed in that offense right. that he's not going to be able to overthrow anybody. But Yeah, they have a good they have a good system in place, too. They're, they're basically, they have Chris Belfo, who's the uh, offensive line coach, and he's kind of kind of sort of be the run game coordinator. It's kind of a role he had with the Arizona Hotshots. So what they're going to be looking to do, and this is where the trade comes in to get Rashad Ross, is they're looking to keep teams from putting eight men in the box. So how do you do that? You get a wide receiver on the outside that can take the top off. And then this way, if you try to sneak your safety into the box, you're in big trouble because they can play action and go over the top of your defense and score. So and Cardell has a big arm. Now, Cardell, what happened was he floated on the national scene for one year, mm-hmm. and then... He basically, everyone projected him to be a first-round pick in the NFL. But he couldn't come out because he wasn't eligible. Yeah. So the very next year, they had quarterbacks that returned from injury, and then Fardell ended up sharing time. He questioned the coaching staff there in that decision, but ended up sharing time at the position, and his stock dropped off. Uh. He declared himself for the draft, still came out early, and people questioned that decision. The Buffalo Bills ended up picking him, I believe it was the third or fourth round, and then you ended up uh, with the Chargers and all that. So, so yeah, so he kind of like, you know, so he showed flashes, uh, but he just really didn't, you know, he came out early for family reasons. Yeah. But if he would have been able, if, they were, if he would have been able to come out the year that he won a national championship and was a super megastar, um, he would have been a first-round pick in the league. His oh, yeah. physical tools are there. There's no question about it. Now it's going to be up to him. What he, he's got to be able to prove that he can be a consistent, and a quality starting quarterback on the pro level. He's going to get that chance with D.C. He's got a heck of a backup behind him, too, in Tyree Jackson. Oh, yeah. He's uh, extremely physically gifted. I mean, uh, I can't believe he's not in the National Football League. I would have thought for sure he would have been on a practice squad or what have you. The Bills, I know he was with the Bills for a stretch. He played at the University of Buffalo. Yeah. But Tyree Jackson has a huge arm, is extremely mobile, big kid, 6'7"-ish. Has, like, some Cam Newton-like ability. So, um, you know, he's not as big as Cam, but he's uh, as far as uh, muscular. But um, he's huge. So they have good quarterbacks there in D.C. So Cardell is going to be an interesting guy to follow. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Jaquan Gardner, I'm familiar with him, too, like I was saying. He's... I wrote about him when I wrote about the fleet when the AAF was around. I love his lateral quickness. He reminds me a lot of MJD, Maurice Jones-Drew. Just not just size wise, but he's got the speed and he's compact. He doesn't have the probably the strength that Maurice Jones Drew had, but.
but his lateral quickness and his ability to make people miss makes him really special. He's definitely a home run hitter. That's probably what he's going to do up there in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. You're going to want him on the field. Oh, yeah. It's like, um, so, so they're they're probably going to end up rotating the backs there. I think he's going to. I think Jaquan has a chance if he stays healthy. That's the big if. Oh yeah. Because of his running running style, sometimes his nature of bouncing off people leads to injuries. But um, if Jaquan stays healthy, I think he can be a one eight of tennis style. While Trey Williams still runs the ball, but assumes a slightly different role. Then Farrell and Gardner will assume in the offense. It's not to say that Farrell and Gardner can't do some of the stuff that Trey does, but I think Trey's going to be more of the uh, third down back, receiving back out of the backfield. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. So now let's kind of narrow our focus a little bit, take it down to the Guardians. Is there anybody that you're excited to watch on the Guardians? Uh, it's hard not to be impressed with the secondary. I like a lot of their players. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people that are following the XFL, they think of, uh, Jamar Summers, and rightfully so. He was one of the top-rated corners in pro football focus. But I think there are a couple of players that are under the radar. They're going to become household names by the season, by the time the season ends. And I really like Anthony Tejada, and I'm a big fan of Terrence Alexander. I think those two players are players that are going to emerge um, by the end of the season. There are a lot of good players on the Guardians. They have a deep backfield. I like all their backs. They kept four of them. They only uh, had four throughout in the entire mini camp and training camp. So it's not like they brought anyone else in. You know, the thing that people, people are going to bring this up with Kevin Gilbride is, you know, they think of the run and shoot and his history with that offense. But what they don't recall or notice is uh, how much success Kevin Gilbride has had over the years with running backs. And not just star running backs like a Tiki Barber or what have you, but in committee backfields. I mean, Back in 2008, the New York Giants had 2,000-yard rushers. They became only the 15 in NFL history to have 2,000-yard rushers in the backfield. People know who Brandon Jacobs is, but a lot of people don't know who uh, Derek Ware is. He was the other back in that equation. And then that same year, Ahmad Bradshaw had 6.7 yards of carry. Yeah. So um, Gilbride has a history, and it started with Tiki Barber as far as with the New York Giants. It started with Tiki Barber and Ron Dane and then made its way to Jacobs and Bradshaw, et cetera. So, um, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, that the, the Giants, the Giants' ability to run the football was they were one of the top three or top five running teams in their two Super Bowl runs. It's kind of like lost in the history books because everyone thinks of Eli and the David Tyree catch and beating the embassy to Patriots and all that. And one of the unsung heroes on the Guardian coaching staff is Gerald Ingram. And Gerald Ingram is the running backs coach, and he was the running backs coach at Gil Bride. They were together in New York, and they were together in Jacksonville when they had Fred Taylor. So um, that's, that's definitely an area that I think is like under underappreciated, under, that it's not really that, that uh, a, lot of te- a lot of people are not focusing in on, is the depth of New York's backfield. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think the backfield, the both backfields, the defensive backfield and the running backs, probably our deepest groups. I think receivers going to be a, like a close second. But like you said, Ranthony Tejada is a guy I really like when I watch this tape. Great back pedal, great burst in and out of breaks. Sometimes struggle with size, but that's just due to his size. I think I was actually talking to um, Keith Tejada. I believe it's either his um, brother or father. I didn't really check, but um, they are related in that way. But he was, um, we were going back and forth a little bit. And he said that he heard that Ranthony heard from some NFL scouts that if he had an inch or two more, he'd probably ended up being a 
um, first round pick. And I can definitely see that ability. He's fast. He's got great press technique. It's one of my favorite things about him. He's really patient in his man press. And he's one of my favorite guys on the roster. A guy I'm going to be watching very intently throughout the right. season. And then, like you said, that running back backfield, um, it's kind of crazy how many of these, you know, what I like about, what I like about, not so much sound interrupted there, exactly. What I like about Anthony Sahara is not only his uh, physical ability, but the fact that he played in a system where he was left on an island. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of times these corners are protected. So it's actually very good experience to be left on an island and, and Gary Patterson's defense there with it. So that's four, two, five, and then just let the corners cover. And oh, yeah. so he had to stand up. He had to stand up against a lot of quality uh, wide receivers. And Rantanee's size is a factor. A lot of times when you're that size, they don't want to play you on the outside corner. They'll stick you in at nickel. But I, he reminds me a lot. Now, this is a player, obviously, that probably you won't remember. But he reminds me a lot of a, a pro bowler, multiple-time pro bowler out of Texas A&M, who's now an assistant coach, and that's Aaron Glenn. He played mostly for the New York Jets. He was Listed at five nine, but he's probably closer to five eight. Um, he was an excellent man corner. That was uh, what he did. And then Rantanee's strength is playing man. He has so much experience doing it. And so the Guardians have a lot of uh, versatility in their defensive backfield. They're coached well by Chris Fishman, who's a former All Pro. So in the NFL, and so you know you could see a lot of different players play on the outside. But I would say the two best corners on the Guardians, as far as Man coverage is our uh, Jamar Summers and Anthony Sahada. So it's going to be fun to watch. I think it might have uh, overall the best secondary in the XFL. That time will tell on that, but that's what it looks like to me thus far. I know. Yeah, we got to wait for the games to happen. But from what I was seeing and like just from when I watched everybody's tape, I mean, the safeties is a little bit of worry there for me about whether we have a free safety type guy that's really rangy. I think Wesley Sutton's the best guy there. But, I mean, those cornerbacks, we probably have the best cornerback depth out of anybody in the league just from, like, man coverage-wise and just the ability to play multiple different spots in the defense. But right. overall, And that's big because I, I saw that I was I saw that firsthand at, in camp. Chris Fishman was cross-training the players at corner and at safety. And the Guardians have, like, a unique combination of players that can do a little bit of both. Like Terrence Alexander can do that. Demetrius Cox can do that. Mm-hmm. So they have players that can play multiple positions. You're right. It's pinpointing who's going to be the in-the-box safety, which could be Andrew Sorrow or A.J. Hendy, and who's okay. going to be that free safety, that rangy guy who covers the back end of the defense and make maybe even defensive calls back there. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how that's determined. But the team likes Drayvon Askew Henry. They really like Demetrius Cox and his versatility. Andrew Soro is a big time hitter. Oh, um, yeah. He looks for the he looks for the knockout blow. Um, <laughs> so, um, and West Sutton is a talented player. Oh yeah. So he's got he's got range. He's got range. So they've got options over there. And then the corner position is a unique one. It's interesting. You know, they even have corners like Bryce Jones who can play a little bit of safety and oh, project yeah. there. So, so uh, it, it's a talented young uh, defensive backfield. I'm, I've been impressed with what I've seen, read, heard so far. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's my favorite position to watch, so it makes me really happy when we have a really talented backfield. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and get into that. You talked a little bit about what you've heard from training camp. What kind of takeaways do you have from this overall period that they had in Houston? 
you know, I think in a perfect world, a lot of these teams would have been in their own separate markets. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting getting familiar with the local markets and all that, that helps for marketing and ticket sales and all that. But I think because it's a first-year league and there's such an emphasis on the quality of play and there's such an emphasis on new rules that a lot of these players are not familiar with, we actually saw that a little bit in the Guardian scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, Colby Pearson made a big play down the field. He caught it, landed on, landed on the ground, and in college, the play's over. Oh, yeah. But uh, so but you know so, but the DBs on Tampa didn't touch him down. So Pearson was told, "Hey, get up!" And he raced to the end zone and scored. So uh, the, the training camps were necessary for the referees, for the broadcasters. That's why they did these live scrimmages, which were you know, de facto dress rehearsals uh, with all the week one games. They wanted the broadcasters to get familiar with all the rules and the names of the players and etc. And um, and they were big for the teams themselves. They got a chance to see other players uh, on other teams, and then you saw some trades come as a result of that. And um, it, it was done because it was a first-year league. Now, in the future, they may not do the same setup. You know, depending on how many players, I mean, that's hard to say, depending on how many players return to the team rosters, how many end up in the NFL, all that stuff. But, but um I think the operation was good. I think that a lot of teams ended up finding out that they needed to improve areas. And I think the Guardians, um, you can tell by a lot of the trades they made, they traded a good player in David Rivers because they wanted to shore up their offensive line. And I think they did that by bringing in Avery Young, who's a, uh, a star, who's a starter right tackle at Auburn. He can play guard and tackle. I think they, they also traded for Damian Mama to bring him in. He could potentially be a starter there. So, I think they feel confident in Ian Silberman um, playing center. And Jaron Jones is somebody that they took first in their offensive line draft. This is a uh, former defensive lineman out of Notre Dame who has a tremendous wingspan and has been a project in the NFL, like a fringe NFL player who's been working towards becoming an offensive lineman. And And because of his physical traits, has been playing left tackle. So the Guardians, you know, they uh, a huge stamp of uh, approval was given to Jaron Jones oh, as yeah. a potential left tackle for the team by taking him first. Whether or not it pans out remains to be seen, but it appears that Jaron Jones and Ian Silberman are going to be starters, and then it's just a question of John Kling, Avery Young, Damian Mama, Anthony Coyle, Garrett Brumfield looking for center and guard, and Brent Weiss probably being a swing tackle. So he's a good start. Yeah. So. There's a, they, they basically, the Guardians went out and they addressed their offensive line and they made a lot of changes to the depth at wide receiver. That was oh, yeah. one thing that stood out during camp. You know, guys who have some prominence, at least name recognition, DeMarcus Ayers was released, Damon uh, Sheehy Giuseppe was released. So, and then they brought in some new players, like almost at the 11th hour, and a couple of those guys made the team. They traded for Joe Horn Jr., yep. And uh, Austin Duke made the team, and Justice Justice Liggins made the team. Mm-hmm. Now, how long those guys on the back end of the wide receiver depth chart stay on the roster remains to be seen. Yeah. These rosters can change by the time we even get to week one. That's going to be a fascinating uh, little game and a fascinating thing to follow in terms of roster management for these teams. But, you know, I think camp was good. I think Gil Bryden is very tough on his team. I oh, think yeah, he, he was, was very critical. He was very critical. I think, um, and I think he's trying to get the best out of him. I think he realizes, you got to remember with the XFL, 
or these are eight brand new teams. Oh, yeah. It's going to be difficult for all eight. Well, it's going to be difficult for all eight of them to come uh, to come right out the gate clicking on all cylinders. There's going to be a little hiccups here and there where teams are still getting used to each other, gelling on the field, trying to form their football identity. So um, I think overall camp is a good thing for for the Guardians and for the entire league actually. Oh yeah, no, I noticed that too. Kevin Gilbride seemed very critical of the team. And it was sometimes tough to determine if that was just coach speak or if he was actually being really critical. Um, Personally, I think it could have been a little bit of both. I think that those conversations with your players are always kind of tough to have. You'd be like, hey, we suck today, but I've heard it plenty of times as a player myself. So (laughs) I think it probably is a little bit of both. And that's usually some of the best. And Gilbride's been around for forever. Mm -hmm. Um you want to send a message to your team and you never really want them to be content. So you don't want to like pat them on the back and you don't want to pat your players on the back and say, Hey, you guys are perfect. Every day is perfect. Mm -hmm. So you want to like, what coaches will tend to do is harp on what you did wrong. You might've done nine things right, but that 10 things you did wrong is going to hurt the team in their eyes. So they're going to focus on that. They're going to drive you nuts harping on that 10 thing you did wrong. So, you know, the, the one thing you did wrong out of 10. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting. And Gilbride doesn't come from a different school. You got to remember, he's on the staff of Tom Coughlin, oh, yeah. who's you know who's who's was on the staff of Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick and all that. And this is a disciplinary type style where they will they will gladly tell you if you're not doing your job. Oh, and yeah. I look at Pat you in the back. He, you know, I saw Gilbride make some comments after you know Matt McGloin had um, three touchdown passes in the previous scrimmage. And he was harping on the two interceptions he threw. Oh yeah. So um, you know, so the, yeah, so that that's basically you know, like you said, a combination of coach speak and and sometimes you're trying to get a message across to your team. You you want them to be a little bit on edge and laser focused on what the task is. Yeah, no, and I remember um, I listened to Matt McGloin's little interview after the scrimmage, and it looks like maybe a little bit, maybe just Matt McGloin, but it looks like Kevin Gilbride's idea of, hey, never be content, there's always something to work on, has kind of filtered down to Matt McGloin as well, because during his interview, his quick little minute-long interview that they posted on the um, Guardian's Twitter was like, hey, we still have things to work on. He said that, I believe, after every question, which personally right. to me, as like former player and understander of understanding, having an understanding of a team's culture is huge, because it shows that it's not just the coach saying things, these players are really taking it to heart and thinking, all right, there's always something we can work on. That's a good point, Zachary. You know, like, um, the thing with Matt McLaurin, and I know you followed the Alliance closely, and as did I, a lot of the quarterbacks in, in the AF did not have any pro football starting experience. No. There were a couple, but not really. You know, you had uh, Luis Perez, uh, Garrett Gilbert, um, yeah, I don't know if you counted it up. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you counted up all eight of the week one starters and how many starts they had in the NFL, it wasn't very much. No. A lot of times when people hear Matt McGloin, they think, you know, some, to some people it's not sexy, but Matt McGloin has starting experience in the NFL. Oh, yeah. He's one game in the NFL. So that means something. That means something. And that's why he's, you know, endeared himself to his coaching staff and to his teammates and players. And Matt McGloin, in a kind of roundabout way, kind of symbolizes a lot of the players that are in the XFL. Because when you look at his story, Matt McGloin was a walk-on at Penn State. And so he wasn't a top recruit. 
We ended up winning over that coaching staff and winning over the entire program, winning the Burlington Trophy, which is for the top walk-on. And he had a very good college career, set record, did very well. And then he came in the NFL, same path he started in college football, undrafted, had to work his way in, make a roster. And then when he was thrown into the fire on some not, you know, some, you know, teams that weren't very good, he did a respectable job. He won games in the NFL. And so his statute may not be pretty, but, but it's invaluable to have a quarterback who has NFL experience and who knows how to, how to play um, when the circumstances surrounding him aren't always ideal. And Matt, Matt McGloin, has been, he did a good job with that in Penn State. He did a good job with that in the NFL. It was revealed, um, Diana Rossini was at uh, the New York Guardians get-together, say a couple months ago now, and maybe it might have been a month and a half, but it was revealed during that get-together with the fan base and the season ticket holders that Andy Reid is one of the people that reached out to the Guardians front office and suggested Matt McGloin. Oh. Now, they probably already, yeah, they probably already had him on their radar, but um, that helped facilitate it. And Matt McGloin revealed in an interview with me at minicamp with uh, Peter Schwartz that the Alliance of American Football reached out to him last year and he turned the league down because he didn't have a lot of faith in their operation. Okay. So, and yeah, so that's the, the kind of the story there. So, so McGloin, you know, is, you know, getting back to your original point, it's vital for the teams in this league to have uh, players who actually do have starting experience, especially at the quarterback position. And there are a few teams that do, like Josh Johnson, Matt McGloin, okay. Andrew Jones, and others. So it helps for the quality of the play. It helps for the teams that are trying to win. Oh, yeah, no. And we're talking about uh, Matt McGloin. So I was just going to go a little bit into his performance at the scrimmage, and we'll talk about that for a minute here really quick. Um, it's really interesting, at least from the clips that I saw on Twitter and from everything I heard from the game, it sounds like at least the Guardians passing game is going to live and buy, die, uh, pardon me, live and die by the deep ball. And I find that really interesting with Matt McGloin at quarterback because he's not really a guy that I've really associated with like really uh, with a really strong arm. So I was kind of curious what your take on on that was. You know, when you look at the roster, sometimes when you have a roster of players, you have to cater your offensive style to those players. Now, if you if you take a deep dive into the roster of the Guardians, you'll see two players specifically, and I'll even bring someone D'Angelo Yancey, but you see Mikhail McKay, and you see a kid who might emerge, and who has been emerging, and that's Dale Redding from Bowling Green. Now, these, but the reason why I bring up these two players is these two players can catch the ball when they're not open. Oh, yeah. So you basically, they, their, their specialty is going up and catching contested passes. And so Theo Redding, and he showed it during the scrimmage, will go up and rip the ball out of the air. So when you have receivers like that, the coaching staff is going to tell you, okay, if they're even, give them a shot. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you got big, powerful receivers that can go up and snatch the ball out of the air. And, then again, Joe Bright has a history of receivers like that in Plaxico Burst and I've seen Nick. Yep. So, uh, Redding is somebody, and of course, D'Angelo Yancey is a big boy too. Oh yeah, very athletic for a size, two hundred twenty pound receiver. Um, mm-hmm. So these are the type of uh, guys that are not afraid of contact and not afraid to go up and rip the ball out of the air. So I think, I think they were taking some shots down the field. I think McGloin is underrated in terms. He doesn't have a cannon front on, 
Yeah. But I think he's underrated in that respect. And Eli Manning used to take a lot of chances um, in Kevin Gilbride's offense because he had those type of wide receivers where they're open when they're not really open. Oh, yeah. So that's what Mikhail, you know, that's what Mikhail McKay's best trade is. They call him big play McKay. A lot of times those big plays come when the corner's got great coverage on them. Oh, yeah, and he makes a good But yes, McKay yeah. goes up and just snatches it out of the air. So, um, so you know, you look at McKay, he's not a 4-3 guy. He has this deep for size, but, but um, he makes big plays down the field because of that simple fact. So I think in the office, and McGloin is a smart guy. You have a, a ta- you have a talent like a Teo Redding. You have a talent like a Mikael McKay. Um, they're not always going to be open, but um, if they got single coverage and you have an opportunity to place the ball properly, um, you have the opportunity to make big plays. So okay. I I did notice that, and that's a good observation on your point on your part. So yeah, that's something that you you'll see a little more of with Matt McGloin. I think he's going to take more chances. Oh yeah, definitely, and. Like you brought up Teal Redding. That's one of my takeaways from camp is just Teal Redding. I feel like he's going to be good. I don't like when they first signed him, I was a little bit skeptical. I watched his highlight tape. It was a lot of the same thing. And when I watch a receiver, I usually want to see a little bit more route running from him. I'm a huge proponent of route running being the most important trait for a receiver um, because you have to be able to get open, create separation. But Teal Redding has just shown that ability that's to get the ball in contested situations, which is a huge trait for a receiver, even if he doesn't have the all the skills to be a great route runner, at least right now. He's shown good press release, and he's shown a great ability to find the ball and make the contested catch, which if you're going to be a contested catch receiver, you have to be able to get off the press. And since he's shown that, it's a great combo, and he reminds me a lot of Marvin Jones with the Detroit Lions. He's a little bit unheralded as a receiver, but he's really good from what I've seen. So he's a guy. I'm that's super a very good. That's a very good comp. That's a very good comp, Zachary. And uh, and Redding was in a uh, Lions camp there with uh, spent some time there with the Detroit Lions. So that's uh, Marvin Jones. That's a very good call on that. You know, in, in the XFL, your red zone offense is going to be very important. It's not, you know, that's important in every in every league. But because of the amount of point after touchdown attempts, because of the overtime rule, if it ever comes into play you're going to need wide receivers that can win in close quarters. Oh, yeah. So, um, because you run out of space in those areas. So, if you've got guys who are jump ball receivers who can win, you know, okay, a lot of these young guys, they come out of college and they, you know, they're great at two or three different routes, or different routes but they don't have the complete route tree. Okay. And you even see some of those players, you see a good number of players like that in the NFL too. And then the co- what coaching staff will do is just focus on their strengths and hope mm-hmm. that over time, with the coaching, they'll build up those things. Oh, I think yeah. if you're a smart coaching staff and you have somebody like uh, Taylor Redding on your roster who can do a, a few of the things that McCann McKay can do, uh, you want to utilize them to the best of his ability. So it is nice to see players like that emerge. You know, they have a lot of size that we're seeing too with the Guardians with oh, yeah. uh, Yancey and McKay and and even Gentry, you know, he's, he's, he's no small guy either. So they, um, in the red zone, they're, they're going to have a good opportunity to uh, convert and win. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we just talked a little about the, um, talked a little bit about the scrimmage, and I'm going to move us on a little really quick to the final roster, the final 52 after the scrimmage. We expected to get those rosters right away, but we didn't, which kind of was 
kind of sucks. But then we eventually did get this draft diamonds article that kind of shows us what some of the cuts look like they'll be. And a couple of people, um, I believe Connor Folk has said, um, he's a really good resource out there on Twitter. Connor Folk has said that this is a pretty reliable source. So, um, sorry, excuse me. What are some of the cuts on there that kind of surprised you? Some of these unofficial cuts. You know, I saw it with most of the teams in the XFL. I didn't see that many surprising cuts with the Guardians. You know, they, yeah. they, I didn't suspect that they would keep four quarterbacks. They released for the time being, unless they trade a quarterback, um, they, for the time being, they've released Garrett Fugate. Um, there's, um, there's a few other players that were, that were released, you know, but it wasn't, you know, I, I thought maybe they could keep 11 defensive backs, but it's only a 52-player roster, so they released Trey Mathis and Aaron Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously feel very highly about that group. Some of these players that are released could cycle back onto the roster later. Oh yeah. Now everybody knows about everybody knows about Team Nine and all that, but you know, part of football is injuries. So a lot of times, what what will end up happening is uh, during the course of the season, you have several players that go on injured reserve. So a lot of times, what you want to do is bring back players who actually have familiarity with your system. And they can come in. So some of these guys who may have been released, like maybe a Trey Mathis or even an Iron Taylor, who's kind of a, he's kind of like an in-the-box in kind of guy. So maybe it's not a complete defensive back. But, you know, that's, that's somebody who could cycle back to the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there weren't a lot. I would, I would say it was interesting to me that Victor Ochi was released. Yeah. Um, Stony Brook, only because it's a little difficult. That means, that tells me right there that the Guardians have a lot of faith. In their pass rushers, the two lesser-known guys in Bunny Rotini and uh, Jarrell Owens, oh, yeah. even Charles Wright, who came into right. the party like a little bit later. Um, he, th- those guys, uh, it tells me with Ochi being released because he has NFL experience. He can stand up as an edge rusher and rush on the outside. I can play a little linebacker if you need to be. Maybe even a little special team. So I was kind of surprised. Out of all the cuts, out of all the teams in the XFL, the Guardians list of cuts is the one that least surprised me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, what their cuts really showed me was that they were going to be running a 3-4 on defense. Maybe that's just me that's like seeing that, but that's going to be probably their base defense just because we cut two more traditional defensive ends in Rakeem Yates and Victor Ochi, and we also cut Darnell Leslie, who's listed as a linebacker, but he played traditional defensive end in college at Monmouth. And Darnell Leslie surprised me a little bit because I thought he was a good run stopper in college and a good pass rusher. He showed like hints at good bend and a good get off. But in the end of the day, I don't know how consistency consistent he was. So that doesn't, I wasn't like stunned. Playing the three, Jim, Jim Herman has experience in both coaching in the three, four. He coached under Chuck Pagano with the Colts. Yep. He's also coached on four, three teams. He coached under, you know, current chiefs, defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, uh, when they were with the Giants and they went to Super Bowl. He coached with the Jets, uh, coached in Michigan, obviously, uh, Herman is a former linebacker himself. He won uh, the Boyles Award for the best assistant coach in the nation back in 1997. Yep. But Michigan, in the XFL, yeah, with Michigan, and that's where he played too, and obviously. And so, so in, in the XFL, it's going to be hard to stay in a three-man front mm-hmm. all the time. If you're playing like the Houston Roughnecks, you start four wide receivers on every play and either run and shoot. Um, you're most likely going to be bringing out some extra defensive backs to oh, yeah. that Um Yeah, so so a lot of times, what's interesting about them playing at 3-4 is they have three what you would call massive space-eating nose tackles on the roster. 
in T.J. Barnes, Joey Embu, and uh, Toby Johnson. And all three guys have quality NFL experience. Mm-hmm. The question, usually three, four teams do not carry three nose tackles. Yeah. You know, yeah, they have, so I, you have to wonder where they would put some of these guys. Would any one of these guys slide over and play um, and take on two blockers as a defensive end in the 3-4? Because oftentimes in the 3-4, the defensive ends are in that mm, 280 sometimes, but mostly 290, 300, 310-pound yeah. range. So they're, not, they're not your traditional defensive ends that are 250 to 60 to 70, what have you. So it's kind of interesting who would be playing if they're playing a 3-4 who's playing a 3-4 defensive end for them is my question oh yeah so because when you look at that when you look at their roster perhaps Kayvon Walker can do that he's kind of a tweener defensive tackle slash defensive end he's kind of in a 4-3 he would be considered a little bit undersized but in a 3-4 perhaps he can play end and of course then that lends to who who are the edge rushers on the team as far as standing up, though, you would say Charles Wright would stand up oh, potentially. Yeah. Um, uh, Bunny Routini would stand up potentially. They got a um, under the radar kind of player. There's Ryan Mueller, who can play defensive oh, yeah. and outside yeah, linebacker. Kansas State, I believe. If I remember. Correctly. They have very good. In, they have very good inside backer types and linebacker types. And uh, Ben Ben Heaney. I'm a big fan of Frank Kenda. Oh, me too. Uh, I'm a huge Nick fan of Frank <laughs> He's a very good player. He's just a very good player. So he can play inside or outside, oh, yeah. um, depending on what the scheme is. Juwan Hines is a fascinating player. He oh, played yes. in the University of Houston. He was a college safety and then transitioned to linebacker. And he hasn't quite been able to latch on. Um, very brilliant guy, too. Uh, he's going to be excellent in that, in that locker room. Um, very smart kid. So I, they have a lot of talented players. But my question is, if they play in a 3-4, um, who are going to assume the standard roles, and how often can you really stay in the three-four? That's true. Because uh, teams, teams are going to be playing three and four. Like a lot of these teams, uh, Jim Jones, Hal Mummy, um, you know, maybe Seattle's going to be lining up in a lot of uh, tight end and power sets mm-hmm. with Riley and Thorne. But but you're not going to see very many teams uh, lining up in standard offenses in the XFL. That's one of the reasons. Plus right? with three hundred, plus with three hundred and sixty pounds or three hundred fifty or three thirty defensive linemen, you're going to have to sub them if they're playing oh, yeah. twenty five second play clock and playing a fast paced game. So I don't know. I'm not saying that three four is not going to work because it looks like Los Angeles going to be playing that. Teddy Cattrall could be playing that with Houston, um, and you could be playing a mix of the three four and the four three. So it's just a question of you're going to have to rotate linemen quite a bit, and you're going to if you have a larger that defensive line, it's going to be difficult to keep them out there for long periods of time. Oh, yeah. No, I can agree with that. Um, I could see them running that 3-4 just because personnel, when I first look at the roster, it's kind of the first thing that jumps out. I see a lot of pass rushing kind of linebackers. There's one guy they brought on. I don't remember if they cut him or not. I don't believe so. He was from Wisconsin. He was a outside. He was an outside linebacker that played in a kind of a 3-4 down lineman spot and a lot of the guys they've brought in have experience doing that so that's kind of why my first thoughts three four but they could also run this just kind of it's possible it's like i said like i said i think they're going to be i think they're going to be this way on offense too and i think they're going to be multiple in nature depending on the game plan and the teams they play i think the fact that they have tg barnes and joey and boo and uh and toby johnson is another monster the fact that they have these guys up front is great for short yardage and stopping the run and all that good stuff. But 
it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, XFL defenses adjust to the speed of the game and all the rules. Oh yeah, definitely. And like I was saying, real quick, one another defense that I could see them running is one I ran in college. I'm not sure how well it'll work, but with the faster paced game, it might work pretty well. Here is a three three five where you have one of those um, linebackers, an outside linebacker, a guy like maybe Charles Wright or Jawan Johnson is a guy I really like out of um, out of TCU and also University of Northern Illinois. Roll down or scoot out. Too. Yeah, exactly. He's a kind of a tweener there that I really like. I love those traits in a linebacker personally. But those are guys that could play that. Yeah, you're gonna need every. You're gonna need every down line. You're gonna need every down linebackers like that. So that's some right. defensive alignment that you could very well see. And then you want when looking at the depth of the roster for the Guardians, you want every excuse possible to get as many defensive backs as you can on the field. Oh yeah. So. um yeah, so um, if you can go to a three-three-five, I think they might be in that set quite a bit. Oh yeah, definitely. Those are some of the guys that I really like. And then, kind of one last questions before we um, kind of close out here. Do you expect the Guardians to make any pickups from any of the other cuts around the league? Any positions of need you might um, see us kind of address? You know, when I look at the Guardians roster, I. I, I... I think they thought they were addressing this with Tavon Jacobs because he does have some deep ball speed, but they could use a natural deep threat. They don't have a, um, you know, somebody, you know, I know big, it's big play McKay for a reason. I get that. Yeah. But they could use a guy who, yeah, they could use a guy who's a four, three kind of guy who can take the top off the defense. Those people are not easy to find. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, of the people that were released, I think, you know, there's some veteran receivers that were released. Uh, I think Jalen Rose kind of interesting. He led the NCAA in yards per catch, high-character guy. Um, they need somebody who – they have a lot of very similar talents at the receiver position. And so, like, you can't really pinpoint who would be the traditional slot receiver, Oh yeah. you know, in their in their lineup. And they could use somebody – they kept four tight ends. So the, the Guardians kind of a unique move they, they did was they kept four tight ends on the roster. Me. And it, yeah, the two Jakes have been really impressive, Jake mm-hmm. Paul and Jake Sutherland, and those guys can play fullback um, and tight end, and they're very good blockers, and they're excellent blockers on special teams. And Keenan Brown's more of a receiving threat, and E.J. Bids can do a little bit of everything. He's played some inch back in the NFL, too. So um, so they, it's kind of an interesting tool there. But I would say just looking at the Guardians roster, I would say – um, a more of a traditional slot receiver and maybe somebody who can take the top off the of defense, somebody who can give a little bit of a different dimension to the offense. Oh, yeah. they, they, have plenty of, they have plenty of giants at receiver who can make plays <laughs> in contested areas that could use like a game breaker. Somebody who I thought the Marcus Ayers could have been, at least uh, as far as making, maybe not as a speed guy, but making plays in space, kind of shifty, quickness kind of thing. So, um but we'll, we'll see what they do. We'll see what they do in the, in the next couple of weeks, man. Oh, definitely. I kind of expect us, maybe just me, to um, probably look at um, defensive ends. We only have, I think, two, like one or two listed defensive ends on the roster. So we might pick up a defensive end from somebody, even though I could see guys like Kayvon Walker, like you brought up, kind of shifting outside to uh, maybe a 3 3 or 3 4, kind of, I believe the term is 5 tech defensive end, kind of more inside the tackle. Right, 5 tech. But, right, um, right. Yeah, those are, that's a possibility too. I mean, you could never have enough uh, uh, pass rushers or edge rushers in that vein. So, I mean, uh, the the uh, Vipers released Devin Taylor. He was playing by the Los Angeles Wildcats. That'll be reported tomorrow. But um, but you know, the the 
when you look around the roster, the Renegade, when you look around the league, the Renegades released Marcus Jones, who's from Angeles State, was a big-time sack artist um, in college. So he's somebody who they, the Renegades actually traded for. Um, and then and then he's support, reportedly on the list of cuts, the initial cuts there. So they could be, the Guardians could use an additional uh, uh, pass rusher on the outside. It would be my, I'm always looking for pass rushers, uh, yeah. no matter what team I'm rooting for. You're always looking for guys. And you want to put in this league, which just looks like it's going to favor passing. You yeah. want guys who can get to the quarterback. So if there are any guys like that, um, I, I think the Guardians should consider them. You know, what's going to be interesting is after the first week or two of play in the XFL, teams are going to be sitting there reevaluating their roster. And yeah. say, you know what? It's just inevitable. They're going to sit there and say, you know what? We're not that good against the run. Or mm-hmm. we really need to get, we really need to get this type of player. We're not getting the production we need from so and so. So, so that's, that's going to be interesting. I think they have like kind of a feel of how they're going to use players and all that. But until you see actual results, you won't know for sure. But those are areas that I think that the Guardians should look to upgrade. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I just want to – that's all I have for you today. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on. It's been a great conversation, and I appreciate you coming on. Is there anywhere people can um, go on, say, Twitter or online to find your articles sure. and how to follow you? Sure. My Twitter address is MM, my initials, my initials, MMXFL writer, that's W R I T E R. Cover the New York Guardians for XFLboard.com. I cover the XFL in general as well for XFL News Hub. Um, I'm also on Instagram, although I'm not very frequent on there, but it's also it's uh, MMXFL writer there as well. So um, thank you very much, Zachary, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thank you, man. You too. I'll keep reading your articles. Everybody listening, he's a great resource. resource. Make sure you go read them. Hey, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. After that fantastic interview with Mike Mitchell, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about some of the things we talked about a little bit more in depth from my point of view. When we look at this preseason game, that's what I want to talk about the most. I noticed a lot of things from the clip they showed us. We talked about a little bit in the interview, but we're going to live and die by the deep ball. I think this could be a really interesting season. It's going to be fun football to watch. I love watching football like that. That's why people like Ryan Fitzpatrick and... Jameis Winston are so much fun to watch just because they live and die by the beat. They live and die by the deep ball. And it's really fun to pay attention to and watch. So that's going to be really interesting. I think we're also pretty well equipped to that. We got a lot of big body receivers and a lot of tacticians in the slot that can make a lot of big plays. Guys like Austin Duke, that's probably one of the reasons he is able to make the final roster because he's a really good deep threat. Same with Colby Pearson being really a technician from that position. And Teal Redding's a guy I'm going to be excited about throughout the season. Like I've said many times, he reminds me a lot of Marvin Jones. And Marvin Jones is a fantastic deep ball receiver, really underrated in the NFL for that aspect. So I'm really excited about him. When it goes into the season, I think he's going to continue to have a very expanded role, even though maybe Tanner Gentry and D'Angelo Yancey come back. 
I still expect Tio Redding to be in there making plays on third downs, deep balls in the red zone especially. So he's a guy I'm really excited about. It was nice to see Marquise Williams come in and throw a touchdown. Matthew McGloin had an up-and-down day. Um, he showed really good poise and composure, even though he threw two picks early, still went on to throw three touchdowns. And it's just really interesting to see how that developed. I'm really excited to I'm really excited to see where he goes and I love this little clip he had at the end of practice where he talks about his play and how he and how the team as a whole did. I really enjoy that. I think he did a great job of just being humble about it and giving a good take on what needs to be done for this team. Sorry, guys, I'm looking up the clip right now. I wasn't fully prepared, so I'll be able to play that here in just a second. Go ahead. Scrims with Tampa Bay here to end training camp. How did it go today? Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to, to, to finish up training camp here with a scrimmage like that. You know, I thought both teams played extremely well. Um, obviously, some some very good things we did out there in the football thing, but a lot, a lot of things we got to clean up, um, you know. Uh, but, hey. That's why we do training camp. That's why we have scrimmages here. And now we need to, to really focus here and get ready to see those guys on week one. That was a good football team we played today. The offense looked pretty good, especially in that first half. Talk to me about the vibe and the rhythm that you were in. Yeah, I said a lot of encouraging things out there on that field today. But but obviously still, still some stuff we're working through. Um, but again, that's what was great about today. We're starting to figure out what this team's identity is going to be, what we're good at, and what aspects of the game we need to improve on. Lasting message as we head to regular season play soon enough to the Guardians fans. Um, hey, we appreciate your support all this way. We really do. Just know we're working extremely hard, doing everything we can to get ready for week one. We hope to see you guys there. Matthew Lincoln does a great job in that interview exposing how this team feels, and it really embodies what Kevin Gilbride's been saying throughout camp is that we need to improve, we need to be better, and it shows that Kevin Gilbride's mindset has kind of transferred down to the teams. They're buying in. That's a huge part. You hear every year after a Super Bowl that the teams are always like, hey, everybody bought in. We all wanted to win. We all wanted to be part of success. We all did the little things, and it sounds like the Guardians are kind of buying into that culture. And that's something I'm really excited to watch and really excited to see. So it's going to be fun paying attention to that as the season progresses. I think the game was probably well coached from it by Kevin Gilbride. I didn't see much. I know the defense did step up pretty well. There wasn't a lot of defensive highlights shown. We didn't really get that many interceptions, I don't think, because they would have shown them. But I know the defense only allowed 15 points, which is really good. I think that's might have been the least out of any of the teams during their preseason games. So I'm excited about this defense. I think we're probably, from the few clips I saw, it looked like we might be running 3-4. I couldn't get a really good look. But, I mean, with the recent cuts, which I'm about to go into, these rosters were made official today. The, I was talking to Mike Mitchell yesterday, and they were still unofficial, but it turns out those were all the correct cuts. So I'll talk about those cuts just here in a second. But looks like Terrence Alexander really stepped up. He's probably going to be playing a very multiple role, safety, nickel, um, corner. My favorite guy, Ranthony Tejada, made the team. He looks like he's going to be playing outside corner. He did have that one highlight against him, the deep ball. But every one thing we got to keep in mind is every corner gets beat at some point. You're not going to have a perfect record at corner. Even, even Richard Sherman gets beat. Even Revis Island, Daryl Revis gets beat. So it's really important to keep in mind that these guys are not going to be perfect. So 
I think Ranta Tejada is still good. There was a couple of technique things that he did on that route that got beat, and I talked about them on my Twitter. So I just expect him to be really good there in that position, and I expect him to grow from that standpoint. Now, when it comes to these cuts, there's one thing I noticed. We cut two defensive ends, Rakeem Yates and... And Victor Ochi, who's a Victor Ochi, is a guy I thought would end up making his roster just because I feel like he showed flashes of being really good at that position. Um, Darnell Leslie surprised me as a pass rusher because we could use those pass rushers in what most likely will be a multiple 3 3 or a multiple 3 4 type of offense with a lot of different sets and a lot of different people on this line of scrimmage. So those two surprised me. Um, Andrew Stelter didn't really surprise me. I never really was a huge fan of his. Even when he was playing for the San Diego Fleet, I always felt he was more of a depth piece and never really a standout guy there. Maya Tihima, even though he joined the team late, he showed flashes in college and got a tryout with the Saints. So that surprises me a little bit, but it is what it is. Um, We do have a lot of offensive linemen that have been coming and going. So take that with a grain of salt. And then also... Garrett Fugate, it's a guy I really like. Sadly, he's gone. But we'll see how that develops. Trey Mathis is another guy that I really liked coming out. I feel like he was a great man coverage corner, and he had a really good, well, not great, but he was a good man coverage corner that had pretty good technique from the point of attack to his coverage. But it looks like he's gone. We didn't keep all 11 of our guys. We got rid of Andrew Taylor as well, who's a guy I kind of saw coming from a roster casualty standpoint. He's a talented athlete, but... He doesn't seem very polished in his coverage, so that doesn't fully surprise me. And then the receiver's gone. Dalton Ponchilia, um, Andrew Boys, both guys I expected to go. And then Bernard Reedy, a little bit of a surprise. I thought he might make it over Austin Duke. I love Austin Duke's play style, though. I love how he plays. I think he's a really talented guy, so that makes me happy that he ended up on the roster. Bernard Reedy was a little bit older, a little bit, a little bit less explosive, maybe. So I'm happy... Austin Duke made the roster, and he shows the rapport with the quarterback so far. So Austin Duke seems like the right guy there. And Darius Prince is a little bit of a surprise. I thought he might sneak onto the roster. He has a really great story, and he's a really explosive athlete. He may not have been very polished from a receiver standpoint, though, even though he played a lot of arena ball. So those are kind of the guys. A couple other guys cut. Deion Allen and Brian Finian-Ganafo. I probably said his name wrong. But those two guys are gone. Dehan Allen, we got in a trade with the uh, Battle Hawks. So I was a little surprised to see him go, but apparently we kept the other guy we traded, where I believe his name was Avery Young. So those two surprised. Um, that's a cut that kind of surprised me a little bit from the offensive line standpoint. But yeah, now I'm going to go ahead and talk about who made the final roster and how that final roster looks. So it looks like we're going to be holding on to four tight ends, which surprised me. Not a lot of teams carry four tight ends. I'm expecting these guys to have a huge role in special teams. But I also expect one of them to probably end up being cut after we put Tanner Gentry or D'Angelo Yancey back on the active roster. So I expect one of them to be cut. My best guess would be maybe uh, Keenan Brown or EJ Bibbs. I haven't seen a lot about them. I've seen a lot from Jake Powell and Jake Sutherland, though. I think those are a great one-two punch. So one of those guys could go. We kept a lot of really big defensive tackles, which I find interesting. All of them are space-eating. TJ Barnes, Joey Mambu, and Toby Johnson are all really big dudes, while Kayvon Walker is that smaller, little more prototypical kind of defensive tackle that's a little bit more of a pass rusher. I really like Kayvon Walker, by the way. I think he's really talented. He's shown a lot throughout camp as well. 
Uh, we kept recent di- signee Damian Mama, who I expect to probably start at that offensive guard spot. I think John Kling is probably going to end up that right tackle spot, while Jaron Jones has been pretty much slated entirety of camp as a starting left tackle spot. He's really, really type of project guy that's going to be really interesting to watch. Ian Silverman looks like he's probably going to be the starting center just from everything that's come out of camp. They were really happy to get him back from injury, so I expect him to be the starter there. Um, Bumney Rotimi is a guy I'm excited to watch. He's pretty talented, and I expect him to play a lot of defensive ends. Charles Wright's one of the other three defensive ends. He was a linebacker, but he recently got switched to defensive end, and I think he's more natural there. Um, Ryan Moyer is a guy that's probably going to rush the passer a lot. He used to play defensive end. He's moved to linebacker. We kept four right running backs as well, all four of the guys. So it's really interesting to see how that balances out when it comes to carries. I expect one of these guys to get a lot of special teams work, I think. Justin Stockton's probably our best back overall. I think Matthew Colburn's a close second. I think Tim Cook's probably our third. So I don't think it'll play out like that. I think Tim Cook's probably going to get a more majority of the carries since he's similar to what Kevin Gilbride's had in the past. We'll have to just wait and see. We have a really dynamic backfield. I talk about that in my interview with Mike Mitchell. He's really, we've got a really diverse backfield. A lot of guys can play multiple positions. I'm really excited for, like, we talked about Ranthony Dejada. I'm really excited for, like, we talked about Ranthony Tejada and Wesley Sutton as well. So those are two guys to watch out for. Jamar Summers is probably going to be locked in at that starting CB1 spot. Um, Justice Liggins making the roster is really nice. I like Austin Duke and Tail Redding making it as well. Colby Pearson's a really interesting one, and so is Joe Horn. I did not expect Joe Horn to make the roster, even though we did trade for him. He could end up being a roster casualty, along with maybe Austin Duke once Tanner Gentry or D'Angelo Yancey make it back on the active roster because they should be IR'd right now. I really hope they are. It'd be kind of a waste if both those guys are both very talented receivers did not end up being on the roster. We'll have to wait and see there. Um, I like Mikhail McKay being on the roster. I like that his number's one. It's kind of cool. Um, he usually wears number 81, I believe. So number one is going to be a really interesting fit for him. And I'd expect him to make a big impact in camp too. So that's kind of the quick overview of the final roster. It's interesting that Luis Perez made it over Garrett Fugate. I'm guessing that's just a talent perspective. Um, Garrett Fugate had a lot of athletic ability, but he was really rough around the edges as quarterback. So I'm not super surprised, but a little saddened. I really liked Garrett Fugate's game. But overall, I like the construction of the roster. It doesn't look like we added anybody from pickup, from roster pickups from other teams that have been cut. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that did happen. I'd give it maybe a couple of days, maybe until the end of the week. If we get an injury, I could see us signing somebody from there. So just be patient with that. I don't expect us to make a ton of moves, though. I think the Guardians are pretty happy with their roster. I mean, offensive line is the one place where I could see them making a move or picking up a stud defensive end that they like that another team cut. So just be patient with that, and we'll just have to wait and see. Anyways, let's look at the final roster. We're going to close this episode out with that. I don't have much else to talk about that we didn't talk about during the interview. Once again, thank you, Mike Mitchell, for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. Go ahead and plug everything I've got now. Follow me on Twitter at TGP underscore podcast. We finally got over 100 followers. We're 101. If we get to 150 by the end of the week or maybe 200, I might do a little giveaway. I haven't figured out that out yet. I'll let you guys know next week inserting what happens. It'll probably just be, be some gear and I'll probably ship it. To, I'll probably buy it and ship it to your address. So we'll figure that out once it happens, but I'd love to do a little giveaway here. I don't have any Guardians gear myself, but I'd love to give you guys some. It might be a mini helmet or it might be just a hat, a shirt or something like that. 
but I'd be excited to do that for you. Make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'd love to hear what you guys think of the show. Don't be, af- don't be afraid to DM me on Twitter at TGP underscore podcast or feel free to reach out to me by email at, at theguardpostpodcast at gmail.com. I'm open to anything. I check that email decently regularly. I have another school email that I use a little more often, but I'm not going to give that out to the world. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter, like I said, and also on Instagram. I recently created an Instagram that I'm trying to use more and more. I'm not super Instagram savvy. I'm more of a Twitter guy myself, but it's at TGP underscore podcast, just like my Twitter. So make sure you guys go ahead and follow that. Super excited. Thank you guys for listening. Cue the outro.